This episode of Girls on Film was recorded live with an audience at the Edinburgh International Film Festival in August 2022. Here's our guest Jackie Van Beek on her festival film Nude Tuesday. One of the agendas with this film was we wanted to start to normalise um, nudity. And I thought, I'm nude so much of the time in my life when I'm not having sex. You know, like, uh, you know, like I, 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 I was like, you know, like when I have a shower, I don't feel horny. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome. It's absolutely thrilling to be here in Edinburgh. We're here in 2019 and I absolutely love this festival. Um, 75th edition this year. I've got family here, one over there. Hi, Jackie. Um, and it's just lovely to see so many smiling faces, some new, some old. So thank you for joining us. There's a terrific programme at Edinburgh Film Festival this year. Um, so we're going to be spoiled for choice for guests. So we've got tons coming up for you today. Lots of amazing female filmmakers and some critics coming onto the stage. Um, before I intro the guests, a quick update on what we've been up to on Girls on Film. We have had pretty good summer. We were nominated for Best Live Podcast at the British Podcast Awards, which was very exciting. Thank you. Very exciting. Because we've been going since 2018, and this is episode 123. So we've been doing it a while, so it's really nice to get the recognition. I also went to Karlovy Vary Festival in the Czech Republic this year um, to check out the lineup. Lots of great female-focused films there, really good representation from female filmmakers. One of my favourites that I would recommend if you want to keep your eyes out for it when it comes out in the UK is called A Room of My Own. It's a really interesting Georgian drama and the two stars jointly won the Best Actress Award. They were so excited to be there and I loved going up to them in the after parties, congratulating them and they, they went, oh my God, girls on film. So it was a lovely moment. <laughs> You can read my review of A Room of My Own on Deadline.com and I'm sure we'll do a special on the podcast later down the line. We've got two more live podcasts in October, actually. We're going to be back at Cinemagic in Belfast, which is a young people's festival. And we're going to Mallorca, yes, to make our debut at Evolution Mallorca. Tough old life. Big event tonight aside from this show, of course, is the Nude Tuesday gala screening this evening. This film is a real one-off. I've been lucky enough to see it. It's written and directed by fabulous women, who you'll meet in a minute. It's the story of a married couple who go to a wilderness couples retreat run by Bjorg, who's played by Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords. It's an ingenious farce that was filmed in New Zealand and improvised in a made-up language with British comedian Julia Davis writing hilarious English subtitles for the entire film. So try and get your head around that while we have a look at the trailer. You don't think the Bible? Okay. Hey, 
No, compa. Absolutely brilliant stuff. Hilarious film. And it is Tuesday today and we are not welcoming him on nude, but I am welcoming the film's director, Armand Ballantine, writer and star Jackie Van Beek and writer and comedian Julia Davis. Congratulations to you all. Thank you, Anna. Thank you. Such a treat of a film. Um, I, and, I, and I was saying to, um, to Jackie and to Julia earlier that I was already fans of your work. Julia, I was borderline obsessed with Nighty Night. I've had to stop myself from quoting it. It's a TV series. Um, we're getting some nods here. If you haven't seen it, check it out. Brilliant dark comedy. I mean, deep down, Don wants to leave her, be with me. But he feels too guilty. But I mean, the way he looks at me sometimes, you could cut it with a knife. Can be quite an angry look, but I mean, that's just the fire of lust in his eyes. Now, I know Mummy says she doesn't want you to have a fringe, all right? But I think it will give you an added maturity, so you're having one, all right? And also, I was kind of obsessed with the breaker-upperers as well, Jackie, which you, which oh, you did, you. which is a great Kiwi comedy. Um, and I've just discovered you, Aman, so I might be stalking oh, you soon. Yeah. <laughs> so we're all obsessed with each other, so this is, a, this is a wonderful moment for me anyway. And hopefully when you listen to Girls on Film, obviously you'll be obsessed with the podcast. Of course, yeah. Naturally, of course. yeah. Um, Julia, I hear that you're actually a fan of the breaker-upperers as well. Yeah, exactly the same. I got very obsessed, so I was very excited when Jackie contacted me about it. Sheree don't wanna be with you no more. Sheree don't wanna be with you no more. Sheree don't wanna be with you no more. I'm sorry, Jeff, it's over. What? Hello, Breaker Rappers. You wanna be single by March? Consider it done. Just because we got gay marriage doesn't mean we need to follow through, you know? I didn't vote for it. You weren't gay eight months ago, Russell. I want a nice, clean break. I don't want years of heartache and stalking and therapy and possible violence. I will shoot your faces. You work for weak assholes who don't have the guts to talk to their partners. Yep. So what? how did she intro you? Or do, do, do you want to say how you approached Julia and, and asked us to do this? Because it's quite an unusual ask, isn't it? It is very unusual. It's quite a big ask. Um, and I've been like a huge fan of Julia's since uh, actually from before Nighty Night, oh. uh, that great BBC series um, Human Remains that Julia did with Rob Brydon all those years ago. And then so I've been, you know, following all of her shows. So, um, and Amar and I are huge fans. So luckily we'd been introduced, Julia and I, through our US agents um, after the Breaker Apparatus. And so when we were looking for a subtitle writer for Nude Tuesday, Aman and I, just we just knew we needed someone with like an incredible anarchic creative brain and we were like we've got to we've got to approach Julia so we convinced our producers she you know she was like someone that we had to approach and um because I think I had your email address I just yeah. emailed you and I'm like what do you reckon and Julia pretty much straight away was like oh yeah yeah I just saw your name at the top and was like yeah I'll do whatever whatever <laughs> it is <laughs> and then it was much much harder than she thought it was going yeah. to be <laughs> yeah we, had, we didn't give Julia the script or anything else she just got the completely finished film that had, um, you know, the music, the sound, everything was done, the cut was frozen. Yeah. <laughs> and then we were like, here you go, what did they say? <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it was quite something. It was just watching it visually and with the music. And then, and, and I was saying, Jackie initially said, I think I'll take you a couple of weeks to do it or something like that. <laughs> and it was quite a bit longer than that. Yeah. Um, but very fun to do. So you all filmed this in a made-up language. Was there any kind of logic to that language? Was there a kind of rhythm? Was there a, discussions about how it was put together? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Can you do the subtitles? Were there rules? We all wanted to sound from a kind of similar part of the world, even though it didn't exist. So, you know, Aman and myself, we kind of just chose, because we love films coming out of Scandinavia, so we thought as, a, as an homage to them, <laughs> to those wonderful filmmakers, let's kind of set our made-up land. What was it called? Zoffland. Zoffland was the our made up place yes. and then Zoflandish was it was it you know was the was the language and so we um sort of sampled some sounds from Scandinavia and everyone got very familiar with those and listened to Icelandic land you know radio and and we had a dialect coach that we worked with and we had some common words like Tula for thank you and Kalfuck for fuck you and you know these sorts of things so <laughs> the things so, that you so always the, need at the tibia time yeah so everyone kind of there was a sort of we wanted it to sound like a real language, you know, but then within that, people were very, um, the actors were able to improvise, you know, so there wasn't like learning words. They weren't having to learn. It's absolutely brilliant. I think when I put it on, my husband went, I thought this was a Kiwi comedy. So I think initially it was quite convincing. We said, what language is this? It does sound really real. Um, Julia, what was the process like for you? How many times did you watch it before you started writing the subtitles? I think I just watched it through once and, and had a go at a scene. I think it was a scene with Jermaine when he's introducing... Uh, people to the retreat and it sounded like he was talking about a frog with bogeys coming out of its nose that's what it sounded like to me so I wrote some really weird things sent it off to them and then Jackie was like he needs to be very sort of charismatic and powerful and you know perhaps something a little bit more I can't remember what exact phrase you used yeah I sort of then thought maybe I won't do scenes out of order I'll go back and really try and get a grip on the story and stuff it was so thrilling because Julia would send through you know subtitles and she like she created like a whole new backstory like my character who I had performed as a wonderful kind of Christian-like conservative woman she and in, in my backstory with Julia's subtitles I've had a Christmas anal fling with my boss and I was like what the fuck it's like Sorry, that's asked, amazing you asked 99's Julia Davis to do that and you were surprised oh, well, <laughs> it was just that you thought you knew you, know, you, you thought, thought you knew, you knew your character but, making yeah. it, and then it was like but I, I, lo I love that contradiction in your character, actually. That yes. really worked for me as a viewer and as a feminist because she isn't necessarily what you initially assume her to be. No. So there's lots of layers to her and she's allowed to be but quite a complicated oh, character. I so loved it. Yeah. All your collaborations, you directed, you know, everything all you did to make that character, I think, is, is very special. And I think it should be celebrated because often comedies aren't taken seriously from a feminist perspective, but they have huge impact. Amanda, was there, was there anything that you consciously wanted to sort of challenge from a gender perspective? Because I feel like you mean Laura also kind of has more agency in the marriage as well a little bit um, than you often see on screen. Jackie and I spoke a lot about um, when we were developing her character about wanting to make sure that she had quite simply even having you know fun, quite strong scenes up the front, and also the whole. Um, nudity and uh, body positivity that comes through the whole last section of the film was quite a conscious thing that we wanted to challenge as far as like 
having nudity that's not like just about sexuality, but is actually about people just being feeling free in a way, sort of liberated, you know. So, so is it? It's you know, I guess those sorts of things were stuff we were kind of jamming around with. Because yeah, when I was when I was writing the screenplays, and of course, like showing them, you know, straight to Aman, and we'd go back and talk about them. You know, Aman started feeding back to me. She was like, "You're writing an amazing part." For Damon Harriman, who's playing Bruno, but you need to write an equally amazing part because I think because I was the writer, of course, it's easier to write for someone else, you know, and he can do this and it's so funny and he'll be so crazy. And Aman was like, actually really pushed me to like, like really push my character for myself. And so that was so fun. So, you know, I added blood and sex and, you know, just being able to like actually let her be a bit more reckless, I guess, you know, like I give her that permission to. You know, yeah, be a bit more punk, a bit more renegades, <laughs> yeah. a bit more renegade. So that was so great because you forget yeah. if you're writing for yourself, you often write, yeah, you write the other people the great part. That's interesting. So you're being a bit modest, really, in a way, and all just yeah, or putting your energy out to the other characters yeah. and kind of forgetting about your own. I think as well, if you do an ensemble thing, you always feel you don't want you don't want them to think you're an egomaniac, like writing a, all oh, yeah. the best. Yeah. I don't know. There's something about that, isn't there, as well about trying to. Yeah. Make sure it's all balanced, so then give other people a go. Yeah, yeah. definitely, because it's that's what makes it great as well. But yeah. it's sort of yeah, it's good to get yourself. I remember Jermaine, who's a very good friend of mine, and we worked on lots of things. I think one of the first big projects was what we do in the shadows that he made with Taika, and I was in it. And and then with the Breaker Upperers, like they had done, Madeline Sami and I, we um, you know co-wrote, co-directed, and co-starred. And I remember Jermaine giving me this great piece of advice. He said, "You will spend." so much time filming the guest actors and you've got to remember to turn the cameras around and film yourselves because he's like that's what him and Tyke had forgotten to do so I only ever got four minutes I wanted to ask Julia because when I watched this I felt like it could be an instant cult favorite do you think some people start thinking about having a go at writing their own versions oh, of it well I know that's your hope isn't yeah. it Jack? well these yeah, are our hopes like, and dreams you know right. like we had we had enough in our budget to finance <laughs> two versions so we have two versions of subtitles we have Julia's and then we also have one that two Australian comics wrote, um, Celia Pacola and Ronnie Ching. And so um, there's a platform in Australia called Stan, and it's delightful because if you go onto that platform, um, you can either click on Julia's subtitles, you can click on Ronnie and Celia's, or you can click on no subtitles and just kind of watch it without. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, or I, I'm always encouraging people to, like, get a mic and just dub, you know, like, self-dub, but, like, get a bit drunk and uh, get a microphone. So Isn't that fascinating that you can do that you, and you can do perform the whole thing and then have different interpretations, I believe, without spoilers of the ending. Is that yeah. right, Julia? Yours, yeah. yours was yeah, different somewhat endings. different. Yeah. That's fascinating, isn't it? Um, I wanted to ask, did any of you actually go to any retreats to re- prepare for this? Oh, yes. Right, tell me more. Come on. No, Aman and I did go to a retreat, um, not as a couple, but as um, friends. Yeah. And um, we just wanted to do that. It was a seven-day retreat, and we wanted to do that so we could experience... Um, that fish out of water feeling, like going to somewhere that we knew would be personally, you know, there'll be some challenges. Um, we hoped it would be enriching, which it was, but it was also confronting. And it was so 
amazing because I think I'd written maybe three drafts but it was so amazing to experience that and then be able to write that final shooting script mm. like to put in all of those feelings when I came up against my own personal boundaries and so that was it was incredible I, I want to hear more stories I wish we had more time probably <laughs> off record <laughs> of podcast maybe. yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah you mentioned the nudity earlier and because we recently had Emma Thompson on a live oh, podcast and yeah. talking about good luck to you Leo Grand right. and I think in it's crazy I mean it's wonderful she's it's right to praise her for going naked in that film it's a very brave film and and yourself in this film Jackie but how crazy that that's so unusual and that that we still make a thing of it well exactly like you say Aman and I you know we one of the agendas with this film was we wanted to start to normalize um, nudity especially in our part of the world in Australasia when I you know watch films coming out of our part of the world often the nudity is related to sex or it's, um, you know, there's a lot of kind of gratuitous nudity, or if it's not gratuitous, people are generally having sex. And I thought, I'm nude so much of the time in my life when I'm not having sex, you know, like, uh, you know, like, I, 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 I was like, you know, like when I have a shower, I don't feel horny. I just, I just feel like having a shower, and I love going for nude swims, like, I, you know, I love that. And so, and we watch all of these films, of course, from, you know, Scandinavia and European films where nudity is so much more just a part of life, and we really wanted to to try and do something so, you know, so, you know, we do have sex scenes in the film, but we're clothed. Mm. And then the, the nude Tuesday, the nude sequence um, is nothing to do with sex. It's just a walk up a mountain. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's an interesting deliberate moment, I thought, with the, the clothed sex scenes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It kind of is a feminist issue. I think you're right. But I want to cut to the audience now because I reckon before you run off and do your glamorous things and your red carpet stuff, they might have a few questions. So I believe we have a roving mic. There is a hand right up there. Thank you. Yeah, big fans of all your work um, and can't wait to see the film tonight. Uh, I just was wondering if you were inspired by or if you'd already seen uh, Steve Oram's Ah, I don't know, it's no other way of saying it. But I have, yeah. yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I have never heard of that. I've seen it. I think Steve, yeah. you know from this from Sightseers that movie. Oh, yes. I know. I, yeah, I love Sightseers. Ah. Maybe you might be able to describe it better than me. Like I, I don't know how to describe. Well, he it. he wrote a script, but it's all performed in gibberish. Oh really? But as if almost oh, as more sort of monkey sounds. Yeah, animal sounds. Yeah. Oh, animal sounds. Oh, I love it. There's no subtitles at all. And was he the writer of um, Sightseers? Him and Alice Lowe wrote. Mm. Oh yeah. yeah, I loved yeah. Sightseers. That's a great comparison. I thought of that film as well. Yeah, I think Steve's really talented and really yeah. bold and audacious. And yeah, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, good call. Thank you. I'd love to know some of the challenges from a director's perspective. How do you direct somebody when they don't know what they're saying? Like it's 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 all you know it's all right if if you know if you were involved like from the start, but you you show up on the set and what happens? Tell us more. <laughs> they understood a lot more than it seems because they because <laughs> because Jackie had spent a very very long time. I'm working on the screenplay and writing the di- a version with English dialogue. Yeah, so so she tried to get away with not doing it. Not get away with it, but as a sort of artist's integrity, try and not do it because she wanted to keep the idea of, you know, that. but we worked out. I didn't want to, I was, I, I, I was a real, I was being a real pain, but I think that is the job of an artist. I was refusing to write English dialogue because, well, A, for me, I, I, I didn't want to do it because I knew I didn't want to expose 
information through the dialogue. I wanted to expose it through visually. So because I trust Julia, but I don't trust her that much. Do you know what I mean? I like I want to make sure this, this story has a beginning, middle, and an end. And so um, yes, but it was actually a man about a year and a half into the writing that convinced me to write in English uh, some English uh, dialogue. And so, and so what was fantastic about that was it it was it meant that um, the actors could and myself um, could could grip on to what was going on in the scenes and have you know we you know and we had, could have emotional beats and find the arcs of the actors and go into all of that uh, you know the whole sort of subtext of what was going on within the story and be able to really um, rehearse with that and then we could and then we could throw it away so often we would we would um, rehearse in English throw that away and then flip into the gibberish and then improvise with those emotional kind of... So so the actors found it very, like, liberating, actually, because when they were uh, acting with one another, they they had uh, they understood the context of the scene and the, di- the dramatic dynamics of the scene and the emotions of the scene, but when they were, like, acting with one another, they were... It was really energetic and very much that they were very much listening to each other's feelings. I have one then. I want to know what you're all up to next. Jackie, you first. Apart from going to your own gala, I mean, like, oh, yeah, I, think, I think we're going to the gala, yeah, aren't we? Yeah, you're going to the gala, <laughs> professionally speaking. Yes. Um, what are we up to next? Well, Aman and I have um, just formed a company called Wonderla, and so we're developing a few ideas. I'm hoping to direct my next feature next year. And then, of course, we um, lured Julia Davis to Edinburgh, and we've been we're trying to cook something up, you know, um, with Julia, because we really don't want to let this opportunity you know like we, we wanna, keep want to hanging out we want to keep hanging out with her yeah um so yeah i'm i'm yeah i'll probably throw myself into this, this feature and which Roman will co-produce i've got a, a few pots on the stove that yeah. i'm brewing uh and um, you never know what's going to it's always a balance as a filmmaker of working out how many pots on the stove that you, you're brewing and and uh and and because you don't know which one's going to happen, you know, so that's always a bit of a tricky thing. So you sort of want enough, but not too many that, that it, that's boiling over. And of course, they're all <laughs> top secret. Yes, top <laughs> secret. I mean, we, can't, we can't disclose. Yes. No, yeah. obviously not. Yeah, yes, but yeah, yeah. I'm excited to see all of them or whichever ones come to fruition. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Julia, what are you up to? Same. Like look, a couple of TV things I'm writing on, which are sort of just in development really and obviously making a movie with these guys yeah. <laughs> yes well I can't wait to see it yeah. will you promise me you will come back on Girls on Film and tell us all yes. about it yes. when that happens oh, yes. excellent yes. good well thank you so much to the three of you for coming on to talk about New Tuesday thank you so thank much you. thanks for having us enjoy your gala So um, my next guest is a very important woman indeed. She's brought us here today, in fact. She's the creative director for Edinburgh Film Festival this year. She's Christy Matheson. 
Christy, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm so thrilled to have you on and congratulations on the festival, which is obviously going very well. We've got a full house here tonight and everything I've been to seems to have been packed out and successful and people are loving it. Um, tell us about your role as creative director. What does it actually involve? So I work with a really terrifically talented team of programmers and also an enormously talented team of festival producers. So we have, you know, marketing people and event people and guest people and so all of the all of the different um, departments that it takes to run a festival and then putting the program together as I said I've been working with um, four terrific programmers and we've just really had we had quite a wonderful um, you know winter we we really dived in and watched a lot of films then we spent uh, you know a really long time in the spring thinking about you know what's the shape of this how how big is it going to be how you know how do we kind of want to divide these films up and and we really spent a very long time thinking about how to translate all the things that we were seeing to the audience and then just thinking about how we kind of put this all together. Do you approach it from a feminist perspective? Do you have like kind of, I don't know, a quota or are you particularly on the lookout for certain kinds of themes? I think that with programming, I am always looking for something that I haven't seen before. You know, I definitely want cinematic comfort you know going to the movies is meant to be fun it's meant to be a treat but I'm very interested and and certainly my programming colleagues are very interested in where is that edge like what's you know the cinema is such an incredible medium and you can do so much with it and so who are those people that are really pushing the boat out and this year of course it's the 50th anniversary since Edinburgh presented the women's festival which was the first time that any of the European major European festivals had presented a program specifically around female directors and it was done by a collective of three incredible um, women. Edinburgh was also the first festival to have a female director um, in Linda Miles and so 50 years on I thought so much has changed, so little has changed, the whole idea of gender has changed and so it was just kind of that sort of anniversary was a real anchor for us. So we didn't have a quota, but we definitely had a bit of a north star in in what we were looking for. That's a nice nice way of putting it. Well, I mean, you've picked out some of your favourite, not some of your, I mean, they're all your favourites, right? But we wanted to talk to you about um, some female-focused projects specifically, many of them directed by women. So um, I'd love you to give a little brief summary of these ones for the audience. Alma's Rainbow. I'd never heard of this director. I'd never heard of this film. Uh, mother and her daughter, they're living in this kind of brownstone in Brooklyn. The sister, the mother, you know, comes, she comes back to New York on a, you know, she's working. She's this sort of glamorous cabaret singer. But is she really? And so it, then it just morphs into this terrifically interesting film about these three women navigating the world. And then we meet their community and... And then the young girl, she's a teenager, and, you know, there's these great scenes where she's hip-hop dancing in Washington Square Park and there's boom boxes, and you're like, how come I know who Spike Lee is? How come I've never seen this film? It's exciting when you see films and you're like, I didn't know this film existed. Um, their name is Ayuka Chenziria, and they still make films. They're still actively making films in the States, and they've had a big career, and um, I was like... 
well, now I just have a lot of movies I can go and watch, and so maybe there'll be a retrospective in the works, who knows? Um, nothing compares. A lot of people might have heard of this one. I'm very jealous of everyone who's about to see this tonight because I watched it as uh, as part of Sundance, which is where it premiered, and so I could only watch it on a tiny little laptop. But, you know, Sinead O'Connor, I'm certainly of an age where, um, you know, this is a pop star that really loomed large in my teenage years. You know, people go, oh, trailblazer, but it's like she was, she did all these things things that so you kind of for for people who've never heard of her you are going to have a new like fan base but I think for the rest of us who kind of grew up with Sinead O'Connor and those records it's a real reminder of you know what a force she was Um, but the music you know it's it makes you want to go home and just like play the records again. In one way I loved it obviously I was very young woman and you kind of fantasise about being famous. In another way I was frightened by it. What maybe was difficult for me was the timing of the success thing. It meant that I suddenly had this identity um, and it, it, I didn't feel like it was really me. To be honest, I, I also had very little self-esteem. I couldn't understand why anyone liked my records. It's chronologically told, but it's beautifully shot and there's so much. And also, she I mean, again, back to fashion, like, whoa. I mean, she always had cool outfits, but there's outfits in there you're like, wow, okay. (laughs) 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 So, but it's great. It's a really really wonderful film. I think that the filmmakers have done an incredible job. My Small Land, you've picked up. This is a film that my two of my colleagues, um, Kate and Haffa, they, they both found it and both of them were like, this film. And so it's really interesting. It's a Japanese film, but it focuses on a Kurdish family. So it's, it's telling a refugee story, but in a context that I certainly don't feel like we've seen a lot. So they're a Kurdish family. They've been in Japan for a long time. The, you know, the kids have grown up in Japan. Um, and, you know, their lives, they're just living a normal life. And then they find out that they're... Their status has been revoked and they have to leave. But they're not Kurdish anymore. So it's this really interesting kind of uh, film about family and about community and about, you know, and about statelessness because they talk a lot about their not having a country. But it's also a film about a young teenager who's kind of finding her way. It's a really surprising film. This is a film that will really skip under a radar, so I would urge people to seek it out. It's really terrific. So Zuhal, let's talk briefly about this one. I've seen this one too. Um, How did this one come to you? Oh, this is a film that is, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to plot spoil, but it's a really terrifically interesting character study. We meet this woman and she's living in her apartment She's very capable and everything in her life is kind of as it should be. And then something happens and it starts to unhinge her, but ever so slightly. And it's so, so that's happening. And then she's also living her life in a sort of a hermetically sealed way. And then through this thing that happens, she's sort of forced to, she's forced to engage with these people in close quarters. And so it's a really interesting study about, you know, community, about isolation, about you second-guessing yourself. And, it, you know, but the lead performance is just, it's really knockout. And so I'd, I'd never, you know, I'd never heard anything. I'd never seen this actor before. I'd never, I'd never seen any of the director's previous work. And I was just like, 
Chrissy, thank you for your choices, first of all. Stay with us because I'm very delighted to welcome the director and co-writer of Suhal, Nasli Elif Dolu. Please join us. I, I, I do just need to point out it's... It's really stressful describing the plot of a film when a director's sitting right there. I was like, what if I, what if I get it wrong? Like, you know. I, I was very nervous. And when I heard you talking about movies, I calmed down. Really, it, I felt really safe. I was looking forward. To it. She did a great job of summarizing your film, I think. What do you reckon? Well done, Christy. You did, you did really well, though. I realized I was putting you on the spot there slightly, sitting in the front row. Um, but, but Nazi, congratulations. And this is your first time in Edinburgh in, Edinburgh, in the UK? even yes yeah well what a fantastic film to be celebrating here and what a wonderful achievement congratulations and how did the idea come to you actually it's it's uh, inspired by a real story Uh, I met a woman at a friend's gathering and she told me uh, she was very disturbed and she told me that she was hearing a sound uh, a cat sound a meow in her apartment and she couldn't locate the cat So she started to search for it. She called the firefighters. Uh, She talked to her neighbors. But she realized that she was the only one who was hearing this sound. And people started to doubt her mental health. So while I was talking to her, I was thinking, oh, um, is there really a cat or not? And also, this, this was the first question. And the second question was, uh, what would I do if I was in her place, if, if I was in her shoes? Would, would I uh, keep searching for the cat? Or uh, would I be afraid of uh, being labelled as a crazy cat lady and, <laughs> and won't do it? So, yeah, that, that's, and that night I started writing it. And it took, five, it took us five years to make the movie, but... Here we are. It's such a great concept, and I've probably been called the crazy cat lady myself, and I'm proud of that. I mean, we, we joke about crazy cat ladies, but um, obviously, as you say, you know, the, the, there's, there's a serious issue here. You kind of play with the idea of perceptions of female mental health, maybe, uh, the woman who's hearing things. Um, this feels like a universal issue. Do you think it's also quite specific in some ways to the environment that you set it in in Turkey? Yeah, probably. <laughs> but uh, I'm from Turkey and it's inspired by a lot of things I have experienced and uh, so uh, but I, I could not point out which one is I think yes maybe international audience could see that better I think everyone can relate to that idea of women I mean it goes back to witch hunts right yeah women be, who are being I hear more often that it uh, doesn't look Turkish actually it looks uh, more western than uh, what's expected from Turkey yeah that's very true actually it's a very relatable film in lots of ways and um, your lead actor is terrific how did you cast her Yes, uh, she's a well-known actress in Turkey, uh, but uh, she played mostly in telev- on television, in sitcoms. And she had small parts in independent movies uh, as a suffering, uh, victimized uh, woman. So it was, uh, I, I, I wanted to work with her because I could see that she had a, a, a lot of talent for comedy, but also she could do drama. So that was uh, my reason to work with her. And... Uh, Actually, we went to her in a, on a very early stage, like two years before the shooting, and she accepted immediately. 
and she she read a lot of versions of the script actually yeah. now I like the fact that her character is in a long distance relationship with the man but we only hear him we never see him and Chrissy's nodding here as well you're probably interested to hear the answer to this or maybe you know um, was that a very deliberate thing yes actually the cat and the boyfriend uh, are there only through sound and the question is which one is uh, real <laughs> oh, I see interesting I like that there's a lot there's a lot to unpack and discuss after watching this one isn't it lots of um, sort of theories and things there is also um, going to, to the hearing uh, a very striking and very funny phone sex scene um, but the women's desire is very powerful in this and the, and the man's desire is ignored which is, feels like a little bit of a switch to what we're used to seeing gender wise on screen again would you like to speak to that a bit I mean she's a woman with desires and she knows how to to get herself Satisfied, actually, yeah. <laughs> this is. But uh, the movie is also about uh, miscommunication and struggle to communicate. So I think that scene is also about that. And then it nicely, nicely, uh, nicely. I'm saying even I'm saying that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> it also connects to the uh, meowing, actually. It's, yes, it's absolutely. Um, there's also another sort of character in the film away, which is a massive piece of furniture, which sort of <laughs> in the hallway and, and gets in her way all the time. Could, um, d what does that represent for you? Uh, it's a gift from the boyfriend, actually. Uh, he, he can't be there, <laughs> but he sends a gift uh, which doesn't fit her house, actually. So she's trying to live her life around the cupboard, yes. Well, I'm wondering if the audience might have some questions for my, by, both my guests here now, um, either about this film or about the programme in general for Christy. I have actually got one each, um, if you like. Um, so, 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 Christy, um, one of the fascinating things about a film festival for me is how do you how do you land with what plays when? Can you do, like? I, I I can't even fathom how you even do it. I think that um, scheduling is one of the greatest joys and the greatest chores. So, so for example, one thing I knew I wanted to do, we've, we've got a retrospective of Kinio Tanaka screening. Beautiful, you know, golden era Japanese cinema. And I love to watch those films. Any time of day, I love to watch them in the morning. It's a great way to start the day. So I've put them all in the morning. And I've thought, this is a really, like, calm and cruisy way for someone to start. Like, you could just be really chill for six days in a row. So I put those in the morning. You think about, okay, genre films, you very, you know, conventionally put them later in the day. But really also, too, because we're in the middle of the Edinburgh festivals, I thought a lot about, you know, there's people who go to the book festival during the day, there's people going to the international at night. So I did try and schedule so that I thought, oh, if you're a book person, you could see this after being there all day. Or if you're an international person or a fringe person, come see this in the morning and then you could go to your shows. And then it all just, as the minute it's done, then it's just a constant anxiety crisis because you can just see all the things <laughs> that you did wrong. E.g. tonight, putting... This film against New Tuesday against Genetic, like really, you know. So you see all the anxieties, but there, there is a logic. I don't think it makes sense to anyone except when you're in the mania of doing it. But you're trying to, you're trying to think about how an audience might behave. Great. And then, and then, lastly, uh, it's a fairly obvious question, but um, has the person who inspired the start of the story? Mm -hmm 
were they involved in the creative process any further or have they seen the finished film or did did you not even mention it to them <laughs> <laughs> no no uh, the, she she was not involved in the writing of the film uh, it's also inspired by it's not based on actually but uh, she came to the first screening in Istanbul and it was very nice and I thanked her and people applauded her <laughs> but it's quite a different story than her own story it's, yeah. um, well listen thank you both so much for joining Girls on Film best of luck with your screening tonight and um, yeah it's been such a pleasure to have you on thank, thank you Christina and Leslie thank you <laughs> On to my final pair of fabulous guests. Um, first up, we have Screen International's Reviews Editor and Chief Film Critic, Finn Halligan. And joining her is film critic, author and Girls on Film regular, Wendy Mitchell. <laughs> welcome back, Wendy. And welcome, Finn. This is, I, this is your debut. I can't believe it's taken us this long to get you on Girls on Film. Great to have you here. Obviously, you've both been enjoying Edinburgh International Film Festival, so I wanted to talk a bit about the programme, what you've seen, what you've enjoyed, what you'd recommend. Um, how's it going, Finn? Are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying the lineup? Oh, very much so, yeah. It's, um, it's Kirsty's first time as uh, creative director, and she's just been speaking about it, and I'm enjoying experiencing what she described putting it together in the way that she put it together. It's a really interesting program. I, I thought for myself the more I drilled into it, the more I realised that as she said, she hasn't trumpeted the number of female filmmakers making films about men and female filmmakers making films about women and men making films about... You know, it's very balanced and it's very sort of sensitive and it, it's lovely. It's really nice. Wendy, what would you say? Oh yeah, I mean I was really excited to come up partly because I had met Christy in Cannes and just you see her energy and this big smile she has. And, you know, obviously I knew she had a very interesting curatorial voice and, you know, some of her programmers like Anna Bogutskaya is really interesting and Manish and Kate Taylor and I'm probably missing some people. But, um, yeah, I was really curious to see what they would do with this festival and also the opportunity to come back here in August. And I've been seeing, I've been sneaking out to see a lot of friend shows, but not even sneaking because... Christy and team say, do it all. See all the creativity in August. But yeah, I've seen some great films and a lot of just really interesting gems, not like the most obvious festival program of like every hit from every festival that we see at every other festival. You know, it's some films that are sort of off the circuit as it were, and just you could tell her really personal choices. Yeah, there's a lot to discover, isn't there, on that level? Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Um, now, I've asked you both to tell me a little bit about what you're watching, and I've seen some of these films I haven't, so um, so I'll go through them now. But um, the first one we have to speak about is the opening film, which is After Sun. Um, and I, I adored this film. I reviewed it for Deadline. I just think... Oh, what a beautiful, oh, beautiful, right yeah, word. I think, oh, it's, it's a 90s set film, um, you know, about a, fa a father and daughter going on holiday together, really simple setup, but isn't it beautifully told, Finn? I, absolutely, I, I, like you, I reviewed it for a screen when, I, when, uh, when it was at Cannes, and I went into the cinema, like you, not knowing what was coming, and the temptation is with a film like After Sun to sort of maybe fight it a bit. You want to try pin it down. You want to sort of work fill in the gaps for yourself. You get a little bit frustrated because the director Charlotte Wells, she's not telling you everything. So I loved it. You know, when we came to the end, I was 
devastated and, and absolutely loved it. But then I watch it the second time here on the big screen in the view with the beautiful sound of projection. And you sort of, you flow into it and you realize that it's, it's, a, it's a fragment, it's a sensation, a feeling. A, it's, it's a lovely film, yeah, which bears repeat viewing. I would watch it a third time. Yeah, I missed it in Cannes. I was so excited to see it here because I think a lot of times at festivals you say, oh, I'm going to go to opening nights. We always do. And then sometimes it's not like the best film that's the opening night selection. And this absolutely is. I mean, it's such cinema. And because I had heard it was kind of devastating and, you know, there's some like musical cues that Charlotte plays with. And I was so just traumatized watching it. Um, but I was kind of jealous that Finn was seeing it for the second time and could almost relax <laughs> with the plot and just look at the filmmaking because I mean every image every frame is so carefully considered I mean this is such a real filmmaker and I, I am excited to watch it the second and third time nice that we share the same sky. What do you mean? Well, like, sometimes at playtime, I look up to the sky, and if I can see the sun, then I think about the fact that we can both see the sun, so even though we're not actually in the same place and we're not actually together, we kind of are in a way, you know? Yes, because you're with a father and his daughter, mm. and it's quite clear that he, he's a very young father. You, you, you realise from the very beginning, he, he's a young father, he, 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 has a, he has a broken arm, he doesn't remember how he got the broken arm, so immediately as a viewer, you're sort of feeling a bit protective of the child. Is he, he loves her, she loves, what, what's going on? Why does he say on the phone to his ex-wife that he loves her? You know, there's a sense that this is dangerous for the girl, or, or perhaps, or is it dangerous for him? And, and once you, yes, once you've gotten through, through the, the anxiety of worrying about these people, you know. <laughs> and sort of Paul Mescal, who plays the lead mm. character, is absolutely wonderful in it. And it's a fantastic role for him to take, you know. When an actor comes off a big show, like um, normal people, it's difficult for them to establish themselves. Either they go commercial or they go independent. And, you know, it can be choppy waters. But I thought that was fantastic. I and Charlotte Wells is really a filmmaker to watch, oh, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, tremendous. Now, Christy mentioned this briefly, Finn, but I know you've been trying to catch up with some of the Kinuyu Tanaka retrospective. Kinuyu Tanaka was a Japanese filmmaker, well, she was a Japanese actress, very, very pre-war, very famous Japanese actress. She would have been one of the most famous Japanese actresses at the time. And then post-war, she moved into directing. She made six films. Um, they're not, they've not been widely available. And I think, really, um, uh, Christie's uh, retrospective is, was first thought of by um, uh, Lily Hinstein at Locarno. And it was never... That was the year of, of lockdown, and it oh, never to came that. to fruition. And then Christy, uh, um, uh, Lily left, the, left that role as head of Locarno, and so we finally get this opportunity. And she, you know, she went back to acting. She won a silver bear later on in her life um, for acting. Um, and these six films sort of went out of fashion a bit. But if you're going to choose one, I'd say Love Letter. Wendy, you've also picked out a film called Clean. Clean um, was one of several documentaries I really liked here. This is directed by a man, but clearly he's a, an ally. His name's Lachlan McLeod. 
Um, and it's about a woman named Sandra Pankhurst, who is a transgender woman and has just had the most remarkable life. Just a, a fascinating portrait of, of this woman and some of her colleagues. And yeah, really, I did appreciate this, the sort of empathy and humanity that this film brought out about Sandra being this amazing character and giving her a voice. Um, I've seen this next one that you've mentioned, um, Finn, and it's Lola, um, which is an absolutely fascinating sort of revisionist history film about a woman who kind of invents a sort of a time machine and her sister. And I'm very interested in that because it's always been one of my bugbears that men get to time travel in films and women hardly ever do. Um, male director, but yes. kind of really interesting from a woman's perspective, right? He's an Irish director, Andrew Legg. Uh, he's made sh several short films before, which have always been conceptually quite interesting. And this one is incredibly interesting. It's presented as found footage, mm. you know, in an attic in 2021 or whatever. People find this footage and you go back to a crucial point in the Second World War, it's 1941. And uh, these two sisters who are orphans living in this house, drinking a lot of wine. <laughs> One of the sisters who's, who's, um, who's uh, very, very bright and clever and you know, precocious, invents a, it's not a time machine, but it can intercept radio and television broadcasts from the future. So this gives lots of potential for <laughs> David Bowie to appear in 1941 on their screen. But of course, what do you do in an invention like this? How do you use it? and uh, they end up predicting German attacks, and, and then it, it goes too far. And, and it does, yeah, without spoilers, have some quite interesting things to say about how women are treated, were and still are treated, if they make a scientific discovery. Yes, indeed. Um, indeed. And, um, yeah, and I liked the fact that um, the, the inventor is, you know, she's got quite a butch energy about her. They're both very, you know good-looking, sort of like, like, you know, as you say, these would normally be guys. And if the tide of war had changed, you know, um, what it would all look like. And, and he's very clever, the way that he doctors the news footage and puts the women in and out of the... the, the, the changing the future. I've, I've watched a lot of time travel films, but I haven't seen one quite like this, I would say. It is really, really different. So Lola, definitely worth checking out. Um, I'm going to put you guys on the spot like I did Christy now, because the director of this next film is in the audience today. <laughs> so just to flag up, but I know that you both really liked it, as did I. The film is um, It Is In Us All, so by Antonia Campbell-Hughes. I don't want to describe too much without giving it away, but it's, it's a, a guy who's living in London. He inherits an aunt's house near Donegal, and he goes there, there's a car accident, he gets involved with some of the people that were in the car accident. It's about him coming to terms with his sort of loneliness of his childhood, his dad is not very close to him, his mother is gone now. Um, just, yeah, learning about his own past, sort of reconciling who he is now. Really enigmatic, um, you know, Finn selected Antonia as one of the screen stars of Tomorrow as an actress back in 2011. And I do, and this is going to sound very reductive, but sometimes when actors cross over into filmmaking, I think sometimes it's very, very performance heavy. You know, it's, it could be like a stage play. And this is so not that. This is so vi richly visual. And you can just tell she's thought through every detail. And also something that Finn mentioned, you know, it's, it's a young woman telling a story of toxic masculinity and going really deep with the these broken men and I always find that really interesting so well done Antonio yeah it's a film that makes you think makes you work 
Yeah. Um, you have to sort of like work your way into the silences and work your way into her her rooms and her spaces. It's sort of visually, um, it's not that it's impressive isn't the word, but it impresses itself on you. Mm. You see the characters in the visual spaces and you, you, you have to work and I love that. Yeah, I'm very pleased to see Antonia having made this film. I knew it was in difficult circumstances, you know, there was lockdown and... You know, and it's hard to, um, it's always hard to make a film. And uh, I believe that she's mm. going to be making a second one. So. Are you in the room, Antonia? Are you still with us? Yes. Yeah. Would you like to say anything or just you want to wave? <laughs> well, no, I think it's interesting. Um, Finn, you said something earlier about After Sun. And you said that people, maybe the audience would have the instinct to fight it. I thought just that word was really interesting that maybe I was searching for yesterday when I introed the film because people do sometimes have the instinct to judge and assess and fight a film. And what I really wanted with people when they watch my film is to just allow it, the opposite of fight it, because I do think it's very much a sensory experience. And, you know, I have been an actor for a very long time and I don't really focus on the actors. I've, and I've always been that way as an actor. I'm very um, consumed by every single aspect and element of storytelling. And I f believe very much that it is a ship that makes these concepts and themes that are what cinema is come to be. Thank you for sharing that and congratulations again on the film and thanks for joining us today. Yeah, well done. Yeah. <laughs> Audience, I've got a question for you. Has anyone seen anything they wanted to share that we haven't spoken about today that you've enjoyed at the festival? So, uh, winners, um, which, which is a lovely Iranian film. Um, Iranian Scottish. Oh, which Iranian is even better. Scottish as well. Yeah, it was so interesting to see. And then it said Creative Scotland. It's kind of like, whoa, whoa, what's going on here? The director, actually, he was, um, he, he, he's a refugee who came here and uh, an Iranian refugee. And so he's been living in Scotland and, and, and gone back to, to make that. So it's quite a great story. So, so it's, it's about a small boy who is a film fan in modern day Iran. And a fictional Iranian director has recently won an Oscar. And the Oscar goes missing in transit and goes on this, this journey. And it's just, I, I, I had no idea what to expect. Uh, and I went in and it is absolutely delightful. And then at the very end, it is full of disclaimers uh, about, you know, this is a fictional award. <laughs> Yes, yeah, yeah, this is not an Oscar. Clearly it is. It's whatever you want it to be. So, winners. I have seen it and I agree. It's, it's such a charming and funny concept, isn't it? I think it is instantly engaging. So thanks for highlighting that one. Winners, yeah, brilliant. Um, I did see My Small Land today. Amazing, absolutely fantastic, very touching. Really resonated with me about, you know, these issues of identity and stuff. The protagonist is amazing, very, very authentic, convincing. But... Uh, the other film that I watched yesterday, which I'm just wondering how come it hasn't been uh, touched upon, is still working 95. And they're talking about how relevant it still is. But I remember I was maybe like eight years old trying to watch it the first time, Dolly Parts, and didn't get any of it. But now watching the, the docu film, it's sensational. It's really amazing how it's so current and relevant, even though it was like 1980 or whatever it was. So. 
I'm so glad you brought that up. Still working nine to five. I've seen this one myself and it is it is a documentary about the making of the film. Um, one of the reasons I didn't bring it up today is because I'm, I'm determined to do a special episode on it when it actually comes out um, widely in the UK because it is such a girls' old film film. But yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned it because yeah, it's, it's absolutely terrific and it, and it just shows how unfortunately things have not changed as they hoped they might have in terms of equality. Not, not enough anyway. Thank you for that. Well, Finn and Wendy, thank you so much. Can I have a round of applause for these two amazing critics? Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Girls on Film, which we recorded in front of an audience at the Edinburgh International Film Festival, Scotland, on the 16th of August, 2022. I'm Anna Smith. Thanks again to my guests, who were director Armin Ballantyne, writer and star Jackie Van Beek, and writer and comedian Julia Davis, all for the film that I'm convinced will be a cult comedy hit, Nude Tuesday. I also spoke to the film festival's creative director, Christy Matheson, and director Nasli Erif Durlu, who talked about her film Zuhal, and of course, film critics Finn Halligan and Wendy Mitchell. Girls on Film is an HLA production. This episode was made in partnership with the Edinburgh International Film Festival. It's brought to you by HLA's executive producer, Hedda Archbold, our intern, Grace Selv, and audio editor, Cam Griff. In the meantime, take care. Frosty, for that sounds so knocking. Don't knock and dog. Okay.